out in public, living your best life. Before we get started, a couple of shout outs to our amazing sponsors, the Libertarian Party Dad Bod Calendar, reassuring you throughout the months of quarantine that you can put on a little weight and still be sexy for only $12, including shipping. Go to libertariandadbod.com to get yours today. Also, the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, who rightly recognizes that every good revolution begins with a hangover and sticky elbows, and the city of Peoria for continuing to provide the fine people of Peoria, Arizona, with clean, fluoride-free drinking water laced with antidepressants. The intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Ruffians is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V as in Victor I. Check him out on Facebook, go to his Bandcamp, and buy his entire discography at jodavimusic.bandcamp.com.
Shout out to Taryn Turk's mom and M, as always. And without further ado, our show. It is my deep, unyielding honor to introduce tonight's guest. Spike Cohen is a successful entrepreneur, husband, libertarian activist, and podcaster currently seeking the Libertarian Party's nomination for vice president in 2020 on the Supreme Cohen ticket. Tonight, Spike and I will talk about his journey into liberty, running for political office, the importance of levity in contemporary society, and why looking to government to solve any problem is a fool's errand. Spike Cohen, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Kim. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being on. I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. So- I've I, this is <laughs> one of my one of my absolute most favorite shows is My Fellow Ruffians. I have been watching it for so long. It is just an absolute it's my favorite show. It's easily Yeah, I think easily my we're clocking show. in at what is it? 5 minutes now. We've done five minutes now so far, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, the, the title says it's your 64th episode, so... Oh, no, yeah. no. It's a, it would be your 64th episode, but I co-opted your name and changed all your title cards, and I really was just oh. supposed to clean up in here, and I got to playing with the equipment, so... Anyway, oh, okay. <laughs> you okay. got me. All right, well, then, then it's great. Well, happy five-minute anniversary to your show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am so, so stoked to have you on the show because there is so much that I love about what you're doing with Vermin Supreme. And I really think that it's incredibly important that people hear about who you are as an individual, what you did to come to the Libertarian Party, why you chose to take on this incredible task of running for office and what you hope to achieve in the course of events. So why don't we start by discussing how you got into the Libertarian Party, your evolution, and uh, what you're hoping to achieve here as an activist. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, uh, but for those who don't know, why can't you see me? Why can't you see me? That would be good to be able to be seen. Go back to this shortly. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am Spike Cohen, and uh, I am a, for those who don't know me, who've never watched the previous 63 episodes of this show, welcome <laughs> to the show. And uh, my name is Spike Cohen. Uh, I am a small business owner who started a web design company in my teens and sold it a few years ago so that I could uh, devote the rest of my life to my real passion, which is spreading the message of liberty to a public that often uh, hasn't heard of things like self-ownership, non-aggression, property rights, uh, you know, the things that libertarianism are based on. And uh, I've been doing that. That culminated with my becoming the uh, host of a show that used to be on called My Fellow Americans. Really, it was a good show. I liked it. Well, it had a good run. I was a big um, fan. I, I liked it. I liked that. I thought it was a good show, a good, solid programming. And uh, uh, that also culminated with my becoming the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. Um, late last year, I was tapped by uh, Vermin and his team uh, to be his vice presidential running mate, uh, which really just seemed like the next logical step in what I was doing, which is using uh, humor and, and goodwill to spread the libertarian message outside of libertarian circles. We definitely have you know libertarians that are part of the audience and people that have come to libertarianism uh, from watching the show, uh, but we also have a lot of people that are not libertarians. They just like being entertained and they just like enjoying the show. And, uh, that's, uh, that's what, uh, that's what I've been doing and I've been having a real blast. Uh, and I will, uh, I'm not going to lie. I forgot the rest of your questions. 
That's totally okay because this naturally dovetails into my next question. Okay. I know from having known you and having kind of talked to you about experiences running for vice president, you guys have been wildly successful in crafting the disenfranchised left, particularly those that were abandoned by Bernie's decision to drop out and endorse Biden. What is it about your style of communication, what you have to say that really resonates with the Bernie bros and the Yang gangers? And where do you find that you differ? And if that's how do you coach them on those particular topics? Yeah, so it's it's really we treat Bernie bros and Yang gangers and Tulsi to supporters. I'm not sure what her. I'm sure the <laughs> oh, it's the the lay gang. I, someone just told me that it's the the lay gang because she wears the lay. Yeah, no, lay it's gang? it's a little. It's a, it takes a little bit of unpacking. But um, what if we, they could be like Tulsi twinsies? Like we're all well, for Tulsi for the rest of this show. That's what we'll call her. We'll call them that. Okay. The Tulsi twinsies. Like the Tulsi it. twins. <laughs> um, it makes it sound like there's only two of them, but um, uh, but yeah, the Tulsi people and the Yang Gangers and the Bernie Bros and people on the left in general, people who are naturally anti-authoritarian but are on the left. Um, we kind of treat them the way most libertarians have been treating disaffected Republicans. We listen to what they have to say. We meet them where they are, uh, not just, you know, in terms of rhetoric, but also sometimes physically go to where they are, uh, to their spaces and, and talk with them. We empathize with them. We listen to what their actual frustrations are. Um, and we find common ground with the things we already agree on. And, uh, and then we, uh, you know, basically help, uh, you know, help them understand how uh, libertarianism is, is the best way forward on that. We empathize with them uh, on their, the things that they, uh, you know, the, the, the issues that they have. And we often, uh, as, me as someone that came from the right, uh, it's easy for me to talk to someone who, who's also coming from the right and tell them how, you know, I used to think some of the things they thought and, and came to realize that, you know, it, it, the, the problem is, not just Republicans and Democrats. The problem is the very structure of government itself and the structure of the state itself. And I've really just learned to kind of do the same thing with people on the left. Uh, even though that wasn't my experience, it's really the same thing. It's empathizing where they're coming from and, and spreading the message to them. Specifically with Bernie Bros and, and the Yang Gangers and the, the Tulsi Twins, uh, the the big thing that they, that th- their big common ground seems to be their opposition to war, their opposition to the the horrors that are happening on the border, uh, their opposition to uh, people's rights being denied uh, because of their uh, you know uh, gender identity or their their sexual orientation, people's rights being denied because of of being you know uh, an ethnic or racial minority, um, disproportionate policing and police brutality and things like that, mm-hmm. the war on drugs. These are all essentially anti-authoritarian things. They fit very well into libertarianism, and in the same way that we understand that, you know, people coming from the Republican Party or from, you know, being conservative are often going to have non-libertarian views on certain things. We understand that they are as well. So, for example, when they'll talk about healthcare being a right, wanting Medicare for all, we can empathize with them that this system sucks and that there are some major problems because of the cronyism that is built in to our, you know, uh, government-led system. Uh, and I, I talk to them about the fact that the U.S. government spends more uh, per capita than in, in taxpayer dollars than most other countries. And we don't have a universal health care system. So obviously the, the system is, is fundamentally broken. Um, and then we talk about what we believe would be the best way forward on that. But we don't expect them to immediately sign on to every single aspect of, of libertarianism before we bring them in. We, we, 
just like with the Republicans, we bring them in enough so that they can actually, you know, they can vote for our candidates, they maybe join the party, they join the, the greater movement, and in being a part of our movement, over time, as they work their way in, they get affected by the cult, the prevailing culture that's in, that's that's already there. Um, and so that's what we've been doing, and we've been doing a terrific job at it. Vermin has absolutely been taking the lead on that. And I've, when it comes to people on the left, uh, and I've been following that, and uh, you know, we've been uh, just doing a great job. I was I was in New Hampshire uh, with Vermin, and we went to for the New Hampshire primaries. We went to the events of uh uh the 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 post uh you know like the i guess the watch right, parties right when yang conceded yeah when yang conceded we went to that we went to tulsi's watch party uh we went to uh bernie sanders uh victory speech in the stadium um and uh we went to tom steyer's confab which had six people there but they had the best food out of all of the events um but we went there and every time we went a good portion of the people there these are people that have been invested in their candidate of choice for a year at that point, in some cases. Right. They're wearing pins. They've got the bumper stickers, the hats, everything else. They see Vermin and immediately want to go and talk to Vermin and get a selfie with Vermin and uh, get an autograph from Vermin and, and you know, a hashtag that they got to meet Vermin while their own candidate candidate is there. We went to the Bernie victory speech. As he's giving the victory speech, we walk in and I'm holding a pony on a stick like it's a scepter to herald in the, <laughs> the, the arrival of our new president. And uh, every, people were actually jumping off the, the stadium bleachers to go talk to Vermin and go have their picture taken with Vermin. I have a, a video clip that's like eight minutes long of people just mobbing us to get selfies with us while Bernie's talking. And so... Just to just to kind of address the elephant in the room, because this is something that's frequently thrown at your campaign by mm -hmm. concerned uh, folks within the Libertarian Party who worry about it not landing correctly. There doesn't seem to be, even though the, the comedic aspect of your campaign is what attracts people and, and kind of helps break down those barriers and permit the dialogue to start, you're not finding that there's any confusion about the satire when you reach out to the public writ large. Like they get that you're just having a laugh at that. Yes, I, we have yet to outside of libertarian circles. We'll have people joke about it and go, oh, huh, free ponies. How's that fit with libertarianism? But they aren't like actually worried that we're going to, you know, seize the means of production and 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 you know create a, a forcible pony production program or anything like that. Um, and I like oh, to you're play not? everyone's getting a pony. Um, and, oh. and, and, Ver and, and Vermin's been very, yeah, no, everyone's getting a pony, but Vermin's been okay. very clear, of course, that, you know, there's going to be a transitional plan. We may have to have clonies. Uh, we may have to have pony kits for your pets at home. There's a lot of ways we can deal with that. And it is painful uh, when I'm talking to a libertarian and they go, well, how can you have a free pony without socialism? And I have to explain pony uh, production and how when a mommy pony and a daddy pony love each other, they have to share a special pony hug. And then about 11 to 13 months later, a free pony comes out. And it's painful that I have to do that because we don't really have to do that outside of libertarian circles. People get it. They get that free ponies are an illusion, uh, 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 an illusion or, or an analogy to the you know constant. We're going to give you free stuff. They get that the right. mandatory toothbrushing is an, an, an analogy to mandatory seatbelts. Well, yeah, it's good to wear a seatbelt. Why should the government make you do that? Why shouldn't they make you wear a toothbrush for that or, or, or you know, uh, brush your teeth for that matter, if that's the case? Um, right. They get that. They get that stuff. Um, people are really excited about us killing baby Hitler, though. That's kind of universal. Um, every once in a while, oh, we have yeah. someone every once in a while, we have someone ask us uh, why we don't just go back in time and raise 
baby Hitler better. Um, but that's, you know, that's like a, that's a child. Yeah, get into art school, have Bob, someone, I think yesterday someone said have, have Bob Ross go back and teach him how to paint. Um, and, you know, I, but here's the thing. That's universal child care. And it's, it's not just universal child care in our time. It's universal child care in the past. You have to just kill him. We just have to kill him. Um, but no, I'm, right. outside of, of, of libertarian circles, there's, we haven't encountered any of that. People are in on the joke. People get what we're doing. And the reason they get what we're doing is because of we're, we're being absurdist about it. I understand right. the reason that the libertarians are uniquely concerned about this is because we're actually running for their nomination. So we aren't just coming in and going, hey, kids, who wants free ponies? We're saying, <laughs> hey, kids, come and nominate us. And I understand that that is a completely different bridge to cross. So I understand the skepticism or the concern about, you know, how the satire, the satirical end of it dovetails in with our actual platform. But the answer mm-hmm. is it's been seamless. Uh, when when the New England Community call uh, uh, the New England uh, uh, College Convention, uh, which is a, a every four years they host the major presidential candidates. In 2016, they had Trump and Hillary. Uh, this time around, they had Tulsi Gabbard, Elizabeth Warren. I believe Bernie Sanders was there. Tom Steyer was there. They've never uh, in, uh, invited a third party candidate before, ever. Not just Libertarian candidate. They've never invited a third-party candidate before. They invited Vermin. Vermin went there and had the crowd on their feet. And yes, he did 15, 20 minutes of shtick. He declared war on Narnia. He led everyone in a chant that made no sense whatsoever uh, because he kept changing the terms of it. Uh, He then led them in an anthem that he made on the spot with his bullhorn where he was just going like that. But once he did all that, and had them eating out of the palm of his hands. People were coming back into the conference center from out in the lobby where they had gotten bored listening to people say the same talking points over and over again. Then he hit right. them. We call it we call it boot pilling. Then he hit them with a Libertarian Party platform and the Libertarian ethos and invited them to come and join the party. And he got a standing applause. So that is how nonlinear messaging, coming in with satire and ending it serious and ending it with that invitation to find out more about libertarianism allows him to get a standing applause when anyone else would be escorted out by security. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There's there's definitely something about the fact that you guys use so much humor and levity in your delivery of the message that is disarming. Because I think that politics is something where, to some extent or another, and I think you probably see this too, people treat you like you're cut from a different cloth or that, you know, that they are not, that they can't talk to you. And so there's something very disarming about making jokes and making yourself accessible and letting people know that you're just another human being like them and that really we need to stop putting that position, the presidential position or any other position of authority on a higher playing field than any other. So I think that's really good. Now, what have you guys done to kind of mix things up in light of COVID-19 in terms of messaging and outreach? Because you guys were really building a lot of momentum by doing in-person events. But then, of course, now we're all being kind of forced indoors. So how have you pivoted to address that? And have you changed any of your messaging to kind of touch on these more timely topics? Well, of course. I mean, anytime a topic comes up, we've tried to stay topical with that current thing because the vast majority of people aren't thinking about politics all the time. They're thinking about things as they come up, which is why most people have sort of an ad hoc, arbitrary political uh, uh, belief system that often isn't, you know, consistent with itself because it can't be. They aren't based on a, a, a rooted political philosophy. They're based on 
this issue and how they perceive it and how the people who whose opinions they trust talk about it and message it. And so, you know, most people are kind of all over the place because they're busy, you know, they're not very, you know, they're not, you know, caught up in, in, in philosophy and, and ideology. They're worried about stuff like, you know, making ends meet, taking care of their kids and their families and everything else. So, you know, because of that, they're in that mindset. So you have to be where they are, which is in the given topic. Um, with this, this is like nothing else that modern humanity has ever been through, where the entire world is shut down, where we are all doing stuff online, where there isn't a place you can really go to to get away from this. Um, this isn't a natural disaster. This is, well, I mean, I guess it, it's a type of natural disaster, but this isn't an earthquake or a hurricane that affects a region or a war that affects you know, a part of the, you know, the world or, or a handful of countries. This is a global thing. There's nowhere we can go where it's okay for us to go and gather together and, and, and things like that. So it's completely changed everything. Um, and, you know, we've had to adapt to that. Uh, one big thing Vermin has done, which is not even a political thing. A lot of his followers are, they do skew younger and they do skew because they skew younger. They also tend to skew uh, more financially insecure. I mean, I, I just saw a chart today that millennials are the first generation that are not seeing any kind of increase uh, in the uh, uh, in in their level of percentage of ownership of wealth. Usually, there's this sort of natural as one new generation come up comes up, the other generations kind of slowly go down in terms of their overall share of 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 wealth. We're not seeing that with millennials and with Gen Z. It's completely flat. Um, and those are the, you know, younger millennials and Gen Z are the, the two biggest groups that, that Vermin appeals to. And so they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. They're dealing with a lot of, you know, uh, feelings of isolation and depression and things like that. And so Vermin has been constantly reaching out with live videos where he, you know, takes these walks, uh, uh, you know, on a stream or walks through the woods or uh, he'll go to the, 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 the shore. He lives near the shore and uh, he'll go near the ocean shore and just like talk with the, the people that come in. And um, they're very, very popular. He gets thousands of views of them, tens of thousands sometimes when he does it. And uh, that has been incredibly helpful. He's endearing himself to them. And he's not. And, and what's great is it's genuine that he's not doing it to endear himself, himself to them. He's doing it because he loves them and wants them to be okay. And he's giving them kind of a break from their, their you know, existential fears right now. Um, and uh, in terms of the messaging when it comes to the actual this you know, situation that's going on, we do what we always do. We show how government has failed. Uh, in this case, it's very apparent. Um, the uh, During the first six weeks of this outbreak here in the U.S., at least the first six weeks, the first six weeks that we know of, it may have been even earlier, but for at least the first six weeks, the Centers for Disease Control did not allow hospitals and universities and doctors to test for COVID-19. There were approved right. tests that were available. It's relatively apparently easy to make these tests. And I say it's relatively easy. If you know how to make a, you know, a, a viral test, you can make one. You and I can't make <laughs> one, but you know, it's not like, you, you know, I'm not going to give oh, you instructions on I how to do it. I got my chemistry set and my microscope. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll download. It's like a 3D printer thing. No, for those who, can, who make this kind of stuff, it's uh, you know, apparently relatively easy to make it. 
And so there were some uh, hospitals and universities, and uh, the, the most famous one is a lady named Dr. Helen Chu in Seattle, who she was getting people coming in from Wuhan, China, who had the symptoms. And she said, yeah, no, my Hippocratic Oath is more important than the law. I'm going to start testing these folks. And she did. And they were coming back positive. And she went and told the CDC that. And their response was, destroy the test kits, destroy the results, and tell no one. So instead, she went and released it to the public. Because, and, and others did this as well. There was one in New York, uh, Boston where it happened, one in, I believe, Dallas, Texas, a uh, few in California that all did the same thing. Their Hippocratic Oath was more important than some arbitrary thing that was written on a sheet of paper by sociopaths who have probably been dead for a few years now. Uh, and <laughs> so the so we see that it could have been much easier to contain this if the if if just that one thing, if the government hadn't been stopping most of the universities and hospitals and doctors from testing, it would have been easier for us to end up in a situation like South Korea has or Japan has where they're actually able to contain it just by testing people and then, and then containing them once, once they know that they're infected. Uh, now we're dealing with something where we don't even know how many people have it. Um, and then you look at things like certificate of need laws and, 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 uh, restrictions on, um, restrictions on uh, healthcare workers being to work, being able to work across state lines, intellectual properties on uh, on on old cheap uh, uh, generic drugs and 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 things like breathing masks, so that only a handful of companies can make these things. All of these things are are essentially a boot that has been placed on the neck of the people and the market to be able to solve problems as they come up. It doesn't mean that we won't have viruses. It doesn't mean we won't have epidemics. It means that we are worse off because of government. This is a failure of Republicans and Democrats, and not just of the Republicrats, but also of just the idea of what libertarians call the cult of the, the omnipotent state. The idea that government is this benevolent organization that is you know, efficient and helpful when it's just the opposite. Uh, government right. is a violent monopoly that is financed by by theft and enforced with threats of violence and actual violence. You know, it's, I, I want to kind of stop you on that question right there, though. It did sound like you came to a natural stop. So maybe I didn't have to do that, but I, I this dovetails really well into my next question, which is, you know, obviously because you're running for office, you are going to pay a good amount of attention to what's going on. You're going to see and assess and weigh. What do you feel in the response to COVID? What sort of glaring errors of government has it has it shown? And how would a Supreme Cohen presidency respond to that? And then what sort of net positives have you seen? And how can you continue to encourage and guide people to to do those things? You know, like you spoke of certificate of need and realizing that licensing is creating a restriction that bottlenecks production of some very necessary things. So somewhere, you know, what what's the good, what's the bad, and how would you address both of them in, in the presidency, vice presidency? Sure, absolutely. So obviously, uh, because I knew that that was your next uh, question, I already started to answer it somewhat, uh, but only uh, <laughs> just enough for me to have to now circle back. Um, so in retrospect, that wasn't a good idea, even though I knew you no. were going to ask that. Uh, but no, I, it, it, again, from the beginning... <laughs> From the beginning, government botched this and, 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 and botched this at a fundamental level. And let's talk about why they botched it. They didn't botch it because the people in charge are stupid, right? So the people in the CDC who were telling uh, these, these you know, healthcare uh, professionals, these doctors and these hospitals and univer- uh, medical universities that they couldn't test, they aren't stupid. They're medical professionals as well. 
they knew that when they would tell them that they had to go through a months-long draconian permitting process before they'd be allowed to test for COVID, which means they'd be allowed, if, if they had kept that current process going, we would, we, they'd be able to test sometime around June or July once you know we all already had it. Uh, they knew what they were saying. They knew that they were saying, hey, yeah, this, this a virus that doubles every two to three days if left unchecked, uh, you can't test for it until everyone already has it. Um, they knew they were saying that. And yet they still did it because that's the nature of government. It said so on the magic sheet of paper they were looking at. Because every sheet of paper in government is magic. It, once it is written as a rule or a law or a regulation or something else, it is a magic sheet of paper that if you do not listen to what it says, people with guns and tasers and batons are going to come and use whatever level of violence is necessary uh, to bring you into compliance with it. And if right. you're working for that organization to tell others that they have to do this, if you don't do that to the best of your ability, if you don't tell them they have to do it, you lose your job because you didn't give the order. You are part of the order-giving and order-taking process. And so they did it because that's their job. And so um, so that was the first problem that, that happened. Then there were a bunch of things that have been structural problems, like I was talking about, IP laws, um, certificate of need laws, restrictions on uh, healthcare professionals being, to work, being able to work across state lines. Uh, then when you look at the... Uh, production of what they call PPE, which is like the protective, you know, the healthcare protective equipment, these masks, uh, blast shields, um, saline, uh, 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 saline bags, uh, the, the swabs that they use to test, they put it like all the way back to your throat through your, through your nose that they use to test for the flu and COVID-19 and, you know, other viral things. Anything you can think of that gets used uh, has patents on it. And has only a handful of suppliers that can provide it. And then we can go even deeper into the fact that because of our ridiculous system of regulations and and taxes, it is so unaffordable to make things here in the U.S. that we actually have them made on the other side of the planet and shipped here, and that's still cheaper just because of all the taxes. It's mostly the taxes, but the taxes and regulations that are in place. That's a problem that has created a a bottleneck of of, of supply to the, the market that needs it right now. And so the short answer is we get rid of those things. The beauty of me as a libertarian politician is that I don't have to create some kind of complex program of control. I simply say, government is in the way. Here are the examples of government being in the way. And here is how the market could fix these things if only we just get our damn boot off their throat and let them do the thing that they need to do, that they are actually qualified to do and that we aren't qualified to tell them how to do because I don't know anything about healthcare. I, or, I, I don't I don't know how to be a doctor or how to how to be a, a you know a producer of medical equipment or any of these things. Why should I be ordering people around? Why should I be writing new magic sheets of paper telling people how they should do it when they know intuitively and from their and from their experience and their education how to do it? Um, so we right. would we would that is how we would handle it. We would get the boot uh, off the backs of the of the American people. Very good. So what about some positives that you've noticed that have come out of our response individuals to COVID-19? Is there anything in particular that stands out to you that you would personally or politically want to see replicated without obviously you doing anything because that's not really the goal as a libertarian? (laughs) It's not. It's not the goal of the Libertarian Party, and it's not my personal goal to ever really have to do anything. And so (laughs) libertarianism works well uh, with my personal uh, way of handling things, which is to not... laziness it's just natural <laughs> laziness i'm actually a perfect libertarian politician because i don't i don't want to 
whatever the thing is, I don't want to do it. Um, no, yeah. th there are always silver linings. Uh, I think one silver lining, uh, and these are societal things. People are like waving to their neighbors. Uh, uh, my wife and I spend a lot of time outside uh, of the house anyway, um, because that's just sort of our natural lifestyle before all of this, because I'm, I'm effectively retired. Um, but, you know, we, we spend, but we're like actually seeing our neighbors go for walks and like, you know, so, so that's a good kind of, I guess, made a societal thing more so than than you know something that could be applied uh you know politically uh right now uh homeschooling went from about three percent to a hundred percent and i yeah. think that that's a positive thing i think that yeah. n not every household is going to be able to homeschool uh you know once things change but i i have seen personally uh friends of mine who have said you know what this homeschooling thing is not bad it doesn't take as long as i thought it would it's not as hard as i thought it would be and i actually think that you know once all things are said and done that we'll probably continue homeschooling even if we use some kind of like online curriculum or whatever that you know we'll just make this work in our you know once i'm working again uh to you know to to be able to do this so i think that's right. I, I don't it's not going to be 100% when when the schools reopen uh, but it's not going to be 3% either. Um, so that's been a good thing. Uh, we have people right now, because government failed initially, now they're overcorrecting at the state level by telling us all to stay indoors uh, unless we want to go huddle together uh, to get the last can of beans and then huddle even mm -hmm. further into the <laughs> checkout line and then deal with mm -hmm. the, 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 the poor, the retail workers, the, uh, the especially the cashiers, are they are dealing as much with sick people almost as much as people working in emergency rooms and they often don't have any kind of protective gear and they're just handing stuff back and forth to people it is like you know it's like the uh it's the vector aisle you go in to, to make sure everyone spreads to each other and um so you can do that but you can't go to the beach or walk on the right. park Right. You can't get in your boat and be with the people that you live in a home with yeah. and are already on top of just in your boat because yeah. the virus. Also, you can't virus. go out at night because the virus. Because the virus. I really feel <laughs> I'm just like, I. you know, this is probably one of the goofy things, and I'm sure you've observed it too, is that I, I just think it's so fascinating. You know, the, the CDC, our government, does not have accurate information because it's, it's very difficult to get accurate information, partially because right. we're dealing with other governments that are being cagey about revealing the correct information. And additionally, because this is a novel virus. So we don't know what we're dealing with. We're right. adjusting our opinion as we go. But the decisions that have been made in this panic just are are wholly illogical. And I'm sure you've seen plenty of the memes where they're like, this is okay. This isn't okay. Right, right, and the right. thing is the thing that is so clearly going to result in clumping and dense, dense congregation of people where you're highly likely to expose one another to the virus as opposed to the things that are now illegal, which have a much lower probability of exposure. So... It's going to be interesting. But in terms of the positive stuff, I think what's very interesting is I've seen, and not just our echo chamber of libertarianism, I've seen a lot more people take the initiative to acquire skills and lessen yeah. their dependence on other things. You know, like, I'm going to plant these seeds and grow some vegetables to offset my grocery bill. You know, even if it's something as little as that, or I'm going to teach my children how to fix this, or I'm going to make these face masks. There's a lot more self-ownership and yep. personal responsibility arising out of that, which is, you know, if we can 
whatever happens with government, if we can continue that thread and continue to build that momentum, that would really be ideal because it's putting that power back in the individual, back in the community where it belongs. So that's, yep. that's really, really wonderful. And I'm glad that you guys are our bridge, particularly with the left, which historically we've been very bad about very. building that bridge. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that you guys are making a concerted effort to reach out to them because I think that the left typically eschews us because they think there's something callous about our belief system when in reality it's born on compassion and respect for each other. So it's, it's actually it's actually born and it, it, it's all of those things and it's born out of the left. If you look at the original libertarian thought leaders, they were all from the left, Proudhon and, and Bakunin and all of these people were all leftists who came up with right. the anti-authoritarian, anti-imperialistic ideology of libertarianism. And yes, it, it, American libertarianism typically has been from the right. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all anti-authoritarians here and we have you know that's a spectrum not all of us are full-on anarchists uh and then even within anarchists there's disagreements about some of the finer points about it but the reality is if we are ever going to be a party that gets more or a movement that actually moves the needle of culture because i I believe it was andrew breitbart who said it but i don't quote me that, that that's who said it but politics is downstream of culture and progressives and statists have known that for quite some time. It doesn't matter what party's in charge. What matters is how the public dialogue is, what the public consciousness, what people are saying in reaction to things. And so we need to be affecting the culture and then if, and then watching that work its way downstream into, into politics. And it happens quickly. I mean, a stream moves quickly. A someone who believe someone who believes that healthcare is a right and that we need Medicare for all. What they're saying is I can't afford my healthcare right now. And I know a bunch of other people that can't, and I am scared for myself and for others that they won't be able to afford getting sick. And if your response to that is healthcare isn't a right, you should read Rothbard. You have fundamentally failed and you've created an enemy. You've created someone who is going to vote against all of our interests and including yours. They're going to vote (laughs) In spite of what you told them, just a little tact, a little tact would be incredibly helpful. Um, If instead you empathize with them on, what's that? I said, I feel personally attacked. I was like, oh, Oh. but healthcare isn't a right. (laughs) It it isn't a right. No, and that's the thing. Healthcare is not a right. But if someone's telling you I'm scared of something and your response is, yeah, but you don't have a right to that. What they've heard is I don't give a crap about you. That's not what you're saying. But that's what they hear is, I don't care about your problems. I just want you to know what is and isn't a right in this moment. And that's, you know, (laughs) it's better to talk to them about what is actually concerning them. Uh, I did an event at UNC Greensboro, and the kids there were talking about student debt, student debt, student debt. That's all they cared about, student debt, student debt. And, um, of course, you know, uh, that would make sense. They are running up six figures in student debt for a job that may or may not be available. Uh, and, and, and won't pay nearly well enough uh, to be able for them to pay off that student debt. And if they can't get that job, now they're working uh, you know, some retail job that they could have been working straight out of high school or in high, while they were still in high school and you know, making you know, $9, 10 maybe $12, $13 an hour and having to you know, defer their payments on their, uh, on, their, on their student debt that they'll never get out from under. And the thing that I got to them with was saying, 
I would, I, instead of saying, you know, you took that dead on and other people, you know, they were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, which is really an effective way of reaching college students, uh, was <laughs> to say to them, I asked them, I said, you know, what is it that you're majoring in? And they would tell me and I would say, cool, um, why are you majoring in that? And they would almost to a single one, they all said, because I want to get into whatever field of work they want to get into. And I would say, oh, okay, cool. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, do you think you would be better or less prepared uh, if you were to apprentice for that position during this four-year period, uh, whether unpaid or paid less or whatever, rather than going to school and learning theory? And almost all of them said the same thing. Wow, yeah, that would be way better. But I can't do that. I have to get this degree. And I said, that's the problem. Government has arbitrarily decided what the qualifications need to be for every single, almost every single line of work in this country. And that has led to a a, a rent-seeking university culture that is able to just, you know, jack up prices constantly because you need that degree. Even for stuff like being an esthetician, being a cutting hair. I mean, I desperately need a haircut right now. Uh, but the, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it hit them. I was saying, you shouldn't even have to be here except to learn the, you know, learn the finer points of things if you wanted to. You shouldn't have to even be here. You should already be in your career and, and, and learning that career and, and possibly even making money in that career, but at the very least not running up debt, learning how to do it. And they were gobsmacked. No one had ever, you know, mentioned that to them, the idea of apprenticing to, to do the types of things that they were doing. Um, and that's a perfect example of empathizing with the person, demonstrating that you care about them for about 30 seconds. It's really all it takes. Maybe even a few minutes if you're feeling, you know, feeling really froggy, demonstrating <laughs> that you care about them and then listening to what they have to say and presenting a voluntary based solution to it as opposed to, you know, dismissing their concerns outright because what they think they need right now is a status solution. Right, right. Right, exactly. Like the solution that they're going with is the one that they've been basically told this is how we solve problems as opposed, but it doesn't make the problem itself any less of an issue for them and one that we need to recognize and acknowledge. So you're absolutely right that empathy is the bridge that we build between everybody else. That's the importance of communication in the first place. Right, exactly. So Spike, it's almost the top of the hour. And so I wanted to see if we could do a series of just quick questions, stupid trivia. And for the record, if you don't know the answer, this doesn't make you an idiot. It just means you don't know the answer to trivia and you won't be on my team if we play Trivial Pursuit. So because the truth is, is, this is a fact about running for office is you're expected to know a high volume of information. And what makes it even kind of funnier is for us as libertarians, everything's like, well, that's not my business, not my problem. So, you know, why am I going to sit here and know all this stuff? But okay. So to start, how many branches are there in the federal government? There are three branches, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative. Okay. And what is the purpose of the executive branch? The executive branch well, now is to rule everything with total authority. Um, no, the, the actual... Let's go with the constitutional. The constitutional, <laughs> what the what the magic par- parchment says, the executive. The executive's role is to execute, which is why it's called the executive. The uh, basically what the legislature has created, the budgets they've created, the uh, uh, the outlays they've created, the laws they've created. And it it is the executive's job uh, to execute those functions. Unfortunately, what has happened is over time, the uh, the legislature through various laws has so much further delegated the creation of all 
all of these different regulatory positions within the executive that they are now effectively creating law at the executive level. Um, but the, the actual intended role of the executive was simply to carry out what the legislature said to do. Okay, very good. What are the first 10 amendments of the Constitution? Oh, called? man. What are oh, they called? called. Oh, okay, good. I'm like, man, I can probably nail like six of them right now, but goodness. Um, they're <laughs> called... Quartering! <laughs> <laughs> 10 amendments? Do you know? Um, uh, they're the Bill of Rights. Yes, very good. Do Are our rights derived from the Constitution? No, they're derived... Well... Uh, depending on what your belief is, they're derived either by virtue of our existence or they're derived uh, due to natural law or they're derived from our creator. But no, they are something that are uh, uh, manifest and incumbent to us as human beings that exist. Beautiful. Do states have rights? (laughs) No, states have powers that are delegated to them uh, under the Constitution. Actually, that's not true. States have the authority under the 10th Amendment to uh, derive any power that isn't spe- anything that isn't specifically again, this is how it's supposed to be. Not so much anymore. How it's supposed to be is that anything that isn't uh, explicitly stated in the Constitution as an enumerated power of the federal government is left, as it says in the Tenth Amendment, to the states or to the people. Meaning, either the states can take hold of it and and choose to do what they want, or they can just leave it to the people to handle it, which would be ideal. Um, but the no, there is no such states' rights is uh, terrible messaging for many different reasons, one of them being that states don't have rights. People have rights. States have powers that they presume authority over us with. Excellent. Do animals have rights? No, and ow, it hurts to say that because I was just snuggling my dog before this and I was whispering into his ear, you don't have a soul or rights. And uh, it was a very special moment between us. But no, animals don't have rights. I believe that it is for many reasons... Uh, moral reasons, utilitarian reasons. I think it is incumbent upon us as humans to understand that because of our, because we are animals as well. Uh, we're just the smartest ones, um, as far as we know. Um, and Thank. because Thank we think we we think we're the smartest ones, and yet my dog is living an absolutely incredible life and has to do nothing. <laughs> <He's> got you. <laughs> He's got so I, you know, I'm so smart. I'm saying, oh, you know, you don't have any rights. He's like, yeah, feed me. Um, yeah, but anyway, so. Live dialectic in your house. <laughs> exactly. He's like, oh, I don't have rights, huh? Yeah, I need to go out right now. So I'm going to whine until you take me. Um, mm-hmm. But no, understanding that, I think it is incumbent upon us to look out, to be good stewards of what we have and to look out for the welfare of animals. Uh, I do believe in animal welfare, uh, but not, uh, uh, not we, we can't have open borders as long as we have animal welfare. That's a terrible joke and it's not true. Um, but um <laughs> No, so uh, no, I we, we need to look out for animal welfare, uh, but no, animals don't have rights. Humans have. <laughs> I thought we believed in no particular order, Spike. Nope. nope. As long as those animals have welfare, nothing else. I don't care. Right. We'll bring the troops home when the animals have their rights recognized, <laughs> and after we get rid of the welfare state. But not before we end the war on drugs. Not a moment before that exact <laughs> not order. Not a second before. Not a second That's before. Right. And if we catch any of you trying to exercise your rights to the to the gulags. Off to the gulags. <laughs> not your gulag. time. It's not your time. Okay, last, last ridiculous question for you. Mm-hmm. If I said to you that lying bitch in Florida, who would I be talking about? Oh, that killed her husband, Carol Baskin. Okay. 
Okay, Spike. I mean, I was already all about you before, but I'm definitely all about you now. Thank you. Now, before you go, let's talk about what we can expect to see from you in the next 45 days. We just had the announcement that Judge Jim Gray is going to be running with Larry Sharp as his vice presidential uh, running mate. And then Mm -hmm. we also have a lot of chatter on the radio waves about Justin Amash, maybe possibly, I don't know, in the continued courting of Justin Amash to join, to take us to prom, (laughs) which just seems to be we've been doing for the past two years. So what are you expecting to see in the next 45 days? What can we expect to see out of Team Supreme? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to ensure that you have this nomination on lock? As the Amash turns. um, No, I (laughs) listen, I, I, I think that. Hides poster. (laughs) (laughs) So really what i'm doing do- isn't really affected by other people entering the race i'm i'm happy to have them in it and i'm i'm happy to c- compare and contrast what our ideas are and i think that'll be a good thing i like larry sharp i i i i what i know about jim gray seems to sound good uh, i know some people are upset about them entering uh you know late and there's certainly a conversation to be had about that but at the end of the day my what vermin and i are going to be doing uh moving forward is really more affected by whether or not we're allowed to leave our homes and meet people uh and and if if we if we aren't, uh, then we're still going to we're going to be doing a lot of online stuff. We're going to continue explaining to people uh, how Vermin and I are the most principled, dynamic and uh, well positioned campaign to earn uh, an unprecedented number of votes and support both for our ticket and for uh, down ballot races for the Libertarian Party and to bring them in to boot pill them, as we call it, uh, bringing them into the Libertarian Party uh, and into the Libertarian movement. Um, I will be, uh, you know, doing I have you know, podcast appearances, radio, uh, uh, call-in show appearances, media scrum, everything you can think of lined up almost every single day, uh, that I'm continuing to do. Uh, if they do allow me, are you scrumming? I'm scrum. I scrum all day long. All I do is scrum. (laughs) What's that? Are you also six Sigma? Like what's the deal? I don't know, but I am scrumming, Uh, but I am, I'm absolutely scrumming. Um, but I'm, I'm doing, you know, uh, uh, and, and junkets, scrums and junkets, uh, I'm doing, but I, uh, um, I'm doing as many appearances as I can. Adult version of shoots and ladders. Yes. <laughs> scrums and junkets. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be doing those and, uh, being in front of the public as much as possible, uh, specifically, uh, on, uh, Saturday night, I will be this coming Saturday. I'm going to be in a vice presidential debate hosted by the coalition talk radio with Pat Ford. Um, I will be there and I have been told others will be there. I don't know who all else will be there. So I am going to ask them, uh, later on who, who all going to be there. Um, but, um, then on what's that? Ask them if they scrum. Are you, are we scrumming? Is this a scrum? (laughs) I just want to know. What I need to wear. Um, but then on uh, Monday the 20th, on 420, dude, uh, we're going to have uh, a, a Vermin Supreme Spike Cohen AMA on our social media. Uh, the last one had over 11,000 viewers. And uh, we're going to be doing another one on 420. Uh, and then uh, on the 24th, Friday the 24th, at, uh, I want to say 2 p.m., uh, I'm actually going to be on Larry Sharp's show. And we're going to talk one-on-one about everything that's going on. Uh, so that'll be... Uh, more of a of a conversational thing than a than a debate, but we'll be hanging out and talking about our our campaigns and comparing and contrasting our our beliefs and styles and strategy and what we want to see going forward uh, in the race. Arm wrestling, right? Like, because that's how we solve problems. I don't want to arm wrestle a marine, but I guess sure. Um, and uh, I guess well, I guess remotely, 
I'll arm wrestle him because I'll just do that and be like, I win. And he can't stop me. So that's what I'll be doing in in front of the public. If we are allowed to leave our homes and go back out and meet other human beings, uh, I will be doing the tours that I was doing before. I'll be going to colleges. I'll be going to housing projects. I'll be going to uh, suburban neighborhoods. I'll be going and knocking on doors, talking to people, hearing to what they have to say and, uh, and, and talking to them about libertarian solutions. That's what I was doing uh, before they made us all stay inside. And that's what I'll be doing after that. I'll be visiting as many uh, communities as I can between now and then. And, uh, you know, we don't know. There's a lot of factors that we, we don't know that we should know. Like, are we going to have a physical convention? If so, is it going to be in May uh, and still in Austin? Or is it going to be somewhere else completely? You know, what well, exactly that, are we going to be? And more scarily, I think there is a, a legitimate question about, are we even going to have an election in November? You know, are they going to use this as a justification to shut down know. that so uh, there's so many variables in the air and it's just really one foot in front of the other. Yeah. yeah. Like um, this is the least, I, I should say, this is the, the most serious conversation we've ever had. I don't know that we've ever Usually. managed to make it through a whole, like we, I think we've only made like two jokes. And so I'm pretty proud of you and I, I'm pr- and I'm proud I of us. like, I, you know, I, we did it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> would you like to give us your dot coms and how we can get a hold of you and find My out more about coms. the Supreme Cohen ticket? Oh man, I want to give you all my dot coms right now. So guys, if you'd like to, if you like what you hear and you want to hear just a little bit more, you like this taste and you want some more, uh, go to vermintsupreme2020.com. Uh, you can join our team by contacting us there. We have a contact form where you can join our team. Uh, if you want to donate, we certainly would like that. Uh, you can, uh, there's a donate button there. Uh, and if you want, you can even donate crypto. You can donate some of that, uh, uh, um, uh, some of that Bitcoin you've been hodling. Um, and to say fuck you to the state than donating your stimulus donating check to get oh yeah when your trump bucks come in come and give us your trump bucks all that stuff uh we will absolutely love that and uh uh if you go to spike 2020.com that's my campaign page as part of the vermin supreme uh page um my social media uh on twitter is at real spike cohen uh, my uh twitter my my facebook is uh face if you're putting it in the address bar it's facebook.com slash literally spike cohen uh and if you're searching for it on facebook it's spike cohen your next vp um and uh i would normally tell you about muddied waters media uh but you're watching that already so if you're finding that go and hit the follow and the button and the like button and and hit the bell like kim said earlier um so Yeah. yeah so what's that I said, do all the things. Do all the things. Go ahead and do all the things on Muddy Waters. But yeah, come and, come and check us out. VermintSupreme2020.com, Spike, Spike2020.com. Uh, and we would, uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the team. Uh, if you don't like us, we'd love to hear that as well because uh, we like talking to people that don't like us. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I appreciate uh, if you have any questions, anything that I haven't had a chance to talk about now, please feel free to reach out. I love answering questions. And thank you so much for having me on what used to be my own show is now your show unless the ratings are really good in which case this is now your show yeah if there's a, a spike in ratings then uh <laughs> just kidding no i i want to thank you so much for uh, allowing me this platform so i could ask you these questions and allow your thank audience you. other people an opportunity to hear the fact that you guys actually do know what you're talking about and you guys aren't just a joke campaign because that really drives me crazy that they take that down. um Thank you, everyone who tuned in for tonight's inaugural and final episode of My Fellow Ruffians. Again, we're hosted by Muddy Water Media. I am your host, Kim Ruff. And thank you again, Spike Cohen. Everyone, have a beautiful evening. 
And she will be back next week if the ratings are good. So just know that. But thank you again. Why?